You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with us we have Patrick Schwartfeger. He is a business futurist specializing in technology trends including artificial intelligence, blockchain and disruptive innovation. Patrick just released a new book called Pandemic Inc which is filled with tips and information to help businesses survive with all that is going on right now in the world. Hello Patrick and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm very happy to be with you guys. Our pleasure, our pleasure to have you here. Do you want to add anything else about yourself? Um, you know, I mean there there isn't that much to add. I mean, I I've been a full-time professional speaker since 2007. So uh this is my 14th year as a speaker but of course with the pandemic and the virus I mean all those events got canceled so um I actually that's the reason I took the opportunity to write the latest book uh this is my 6th book so between writing books and and speaking at conferences that's that's my life that's what I that's what I spend my time doing Sounds amazing yeah. and I'm really curious uh, on your views about leadership and uh, how better to as a leader to make sure your business can thrive in this environment that we're having now um and let's see also based on on stories the stories you have I'm really curious about them also yeah so well let's... i mean this is this is a a crazy time of course and i i think you know i always use the metaphor that normally in life or your business or the economy you can think metaphorically of maybe 100 variables and most of the time you know 90 of them are kind of nailed down they're stationary they're not really moving only 10 you know maybe are moving at any given time well right now it's exactly the opposite right now we've got literally 90 variables everything's moving everything's changing and there's only 10 you know maybe 10 things that are stationary so you know for the population for the people out there i think it 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 uh you know people are anxious they're they're worried there's a nervousness out there and uncertainty uh, but that's also a huge opportunity for businesses and for business owners and but 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 it takes it takes leadership right it takes courage to step out and actually do something and i always um you know a lot of people entrepreneurs and people who have ideas for businesses they talk about these grand visions and they they want to change the world and and do big things but to me you got to just take one step forward and see where you are at the end of that step and step 2 only reveals itself when you're finished step 1 and step 3 only reveals itself when you're finished step 2 so especially right now when there's so much uncertainty you know it's naive in a sense to to have a huge grand vision of of what you want to do and how you want to change the world because the world itself is changing but if you just take one step forward and try and help some people and see how it lands and see what the reaction is and then the, the next step will become obvious at that point so you take one more step and then one after that and kind of organically we're going to find our way but it is no question it's going to be a, a new world when this whole thing finally passes by so patrick your recommendation like in especially in this circumstance if you're as a leader uh, as like have focus more like on shorter term goals and have something big term there but don't make it nailed down and solid and everything be able to be, have the flexibility to adjust as you move yeah exactly i mean i think there's again this is you know particularly important right now i think when you when you're in kind of a relatively stable environment it's easier to kind of put a tree on the horizon and start going towards that goal but right now you know no one knows where we're going to end up and, and how are people going to react and are people going to travel more are people going to go back to conferences are people going to interact with each other the same way they did before none of us really know the answers of that so for me and and then the people who I I just did you know I do these virtual events all the time now uh on Zoom and so on and and I I always you know there's a lot of trends we can go through that are in the book and so on uh things that people can kind of keep in mind as they reinvent their businesses and pivot and rebuild Uh, but at the end of the day you you just have to try one or two things and see how that goes and and be ready to pivot all the time and iterate towards success so you know quite often if you take and, and then, by the way the the entire book evolved this way because 
originally a client asked me to do a, a webinar about uh, the, you know, the crisis and the lockdown and the quarantine and what businesses should do. So I started doing some research. It, I didn't think about writing a book about it, uh, but, but I did a screen capture video. You know, I used Camtasia, that software that you can kind of do a screen capture video. And I went through some slides and some ideas just to get some feedback. This is before the event mm -hmm. from my client. And I shared it on my Facebook and, and LinkedIn and Twitter. And I ended up getting all this feedback and people thought it was good and but this could be improved and that and there were questions and interaction and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. People are really thirsty for this. And this is back in April, like end of March, early April. So it was right at the beginning of the, the lockdown. Uh, and so I did a better video and then I sent it out to a, a, a you know, I have an email list that I maintain. And then someone wanted me to do an interview on a TV station in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and so I did this interview and, and, and then I, I sent it to my PR uh, firm and, and they, they started pitching it. And so at that point I was like, you know, if they're going to pitch this idea, then I, I probably should have a book to back it up. Like I should have a real book rather than <laughs> yeah. just you know, a video that I could share. But, but that's the point is I, I never knew that, you know, I didn't go into it thinking I'm going to write another book. I went into it trying to help a client navigate this crisis. But then all of a sudden I realized that there was interest. And, and you know, out of every 10 things you try, maybe only one or two or three will actually work. But that's fine. That's what, that's what being an entrepreneur is all about. And that's what being a leader is all about is trying things and being willing to say that didn't work. But, but also when something does work, then you jump in and, and really try to capitalize on that opportunity. Yeah, and absolutely right. Uh, especially in this environment, taking like small risks and getting like having this short feedback loop is really key to, to success and thriving. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, dip dip uh, a pinky before jumping in. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, you've got a bunch of questions, and I know the format of your podcast. Let, let's let's jump in. Yes. There's a lot to talk let's about. Jump yeah. in. So, what is the biggest leadership success story you witnessed personally? Yeah. So this, I mean, I, I obviously I thought about these questions leading up to to this interview today, and you know, there's so many good examples. But and, and I, I I'm sure you're looking kind of for more personal type stories, but I have to say right off the bat, ideally, Elon yes. Musk. I mean, that guy is like a personal hero to me. It's just incredible, the vision you know, that he has and, and, and working hard and getting results. But, but then, so I'm gonna give three. So that's the first one. And, and Elon Musk has haters. There's people who don't like him and that, that's fine. But for me, he's, he's a hero. It's incredible. It's like he spends his life doing impossible things. So I, I'm certainly a fan of Elon Musk. But secondly, you know, I, I, I follow a ton of people on YouTube. Uh, there's so many good YouTubers. Uh, and, and there's one guy in particular, I'm very involved in the stock market and investing. That's a big part of my life. And so I follow people who are um, also doing the same thing. And there's this one channel, Conquer Trading, that's run by a guy, Jordan. And he's just built a great community. And he's really good about engaging with the audience and being positive and modeling that behavior and, and cultivating the the group. So I wanted to mention him as well. He does a great job. But the third one is one that's actually from my own life. Uh, I, I live okay. in, in Newport Beach, California, which is just a little bit south of Los Angeles. But I, I grew up in Canada, but I, I lived in the in the San Francisco Bay Area for 18 years. And I, I just moved down here like two years ago. And so when I moved down here, I started a, a group, a social group called OC Happy Hour. OC stands for Orange County. So it's Orange County Happy Hour. Uh, and up until the pandemic, now it's harder, but uh, before the pandemic, I would host a happy hour just at some local restaurant um, every week. Uh, and that group just exploded. I mean, it was incredible how, how well it went. And, and there was a lot of things I tried to do to make it a good environment for people and help people meet each other and, and have a good social environment. But we. We have over five, actually not over, just shy of 5,000 members now. About 5,000 members. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. <laughs> and, and we used to get 100 people every week uh, to come out to a, a lounge or a bar or a restaurant or something. 
and just get a drink. Was, there's no agenda. You know, was, the events were free. I don't make any money on it. But it was a real example of, of you know, I love the group and, and you know, we, we'll talk about some of the things in your tips for leadership. I think they apply to, to any environment, but, but I really tried to, to make it a good environment for people and it, and it worked out. It really worked out very well. So, so what, what are you doing to convince them to come and join and basically spend their free time uh, and taking a chance, like especially for, for beginners to come to an event because you're taking a chance. You don't know. Even if it's free, it still costs money because you spend time on it. Time yeah, no, for sure. And, 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 you know, at the beginning, I mean, we had some, you know, it started very, very small, you know, it had just five or six or eight people would show up at the beginning. Um, but, you know, the, the main thing, you know, meeting people is difficult. Uh, everyone wants to meet people, but actually going out and meeting people, it's just not that easy to do. And meanwhile, like I'm generally pretty good with names, and so I, I make introductions and I, I really go out of my way if someone comes uh, that's new just to take that person around and introduce them to everybody. But, but the big thing is, and, and you know, we'll talk about this again later, but I really believe strongly the world is a reflection of yourself and, and, and a company or a country or a family or any kind of a group, they take on the personality of their leader. And, and I, I never, you know, I didn't, when I was younger, growing up, I didn't believe that. And, and I remember, you know, there was one story, I forget now what it was, but some big company here in America, I was living in Canada. I was growing up. I was still living in my parents' home. But some company, had, something had really gone horribly wrong. And so they brought in a new CEO. And at the family dinner table, uh, we talked about, you know, how silly that was. And, and the, you know, they're going to bring in one new person. And do they really think it's going to make that big of a difference? But it did make a difference. And it does make a difference. And, and we see that, you know, in this country, politically, we've got, you know, Donald Trump in office right now. Before that, Barack Obama. Two very different people. And you can see the personality of the country shift a little bit. Uh, as a result of that change in leadership. And, and you see it in, in companies where a new CEO comes in and, and all of a sudden they, there is a new energy. And, and you see this in families, you see this in, in, in social groups. So, you know, the group that I started, there's many groups, many social groups. I, I, when I was in the Bay Area, I had a group up there. So it's something I like to do because I, I can, it helps me yeah. to meet people and, you know, I, I benefit for sure. But, but the biggest thing I try to do is just be nice and be normal, right? And, and take ownership and love the group and, and try to be nice to people. And when I do that, other people try to do the same thing, right? It's a natural reaction. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I look at other groups and that's actually, you know, the, the other question that you, you ask all the time is what, what are, you know, what do you see as a, a leadership failure? And, and I was going to use the same basic example because I see so many other groups where, you know, the leaders, they, they're selfish or they're looking for a personal gain or they're trying to make money or maybe they have all kinds of assistant organizers. So they pass off the responsibility of the group to somebody else. Whereas I think you got to take ownership, just like what you guys are doing. Like you're, you've got your podcast. This is your show, and you guys do the interviews every single time. Like that's a big thing, and people see that. They see that you're taking ownership, and they see the same thing for me. That you know, I, I'm there every time, and I, I try to be nice, even to people who maybe I don't like that much. Right? I don't like everybody. <laughs> right? <laughs> Some people I like more than others, and that's okay. But I, I try to be nice to everybody, and I really think that you need to model, you need to model behavior, you need to model good behavior, and take personal responsibility. So that, that's what I try to do. And it's, it, I mean, I'm blown away myself. I didn't, I never expected it to get as big as it's become. Uh, but it's we, you know, before the pandemic, we, we were getting 100 people, even 150 people, every week. Big group. I mean, it was really fun. And now I've still been holding them during the pandemic. It's smaller now. We just had one uh, two nights ago, and we had about 60 people. Uh, but it's hard, and people are wearing masks, and it's, it's not the same as it yeah, used to be. It's complicated. But, but it, it's amazing that people are still coming out and, and, and being a part of it. And, and Patrick, I'm really curious because 
And in the tech world, there are a lot of meetups and people going to all kinds of small events, putting them together. And usually it's hard to, to break the ice and meet new people, even if you're joining the same event. Um, especially for technical people, I think it, it's, it's harder than in other professions. So what yeah. are some tips like you as a leader of a meetup or of an event where people join? What can you do to ensure that, to maximize the breaking of ice, basically, between the, the people that are coming there? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's exactly, I think that's the the main job, you know, that I have. You know, it's funny because I'm, you know, I, in a way, I'm an introvert myself. Like, I, I you know, I, I don't, uh, if I had to go to an event like this as an attendee, it would be much harder for me because I wouldn't necessarily know what to say or who to talk to, you know, and I'm not, I'm not like that, that clever, you know, it's like you have to be, some people are very good at that. But, but the one thing that I try to do is just these introductions. And, and like I said, <coughs> excuse me, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good with names. And so when someone comes, like I'll literally take that person around and introduce them to 30 or 40 people in a row. And the, the, the reaction is always the same. The people are like, look, I'm never going to remember these names. This is crazy. You know, but I, and I'm like, don't worry about it. You don't have to remember the names. I just want everyone to know that you're here and they see your face and they know that you're part of our group. And, and just when you do that, like a lot of times, <clears throat> sorry, I have a frog in my throat. <clears throat> no problem. It's not an issue. Um, yeah. Like a lot of times people will be having a conversation and I'll literally interrupt their conversation to introduce this new person who came. And when people are new to the group and I do that at the beginning, they get like a little bit irritated because they're like, you just interrupted my conversation. Yeah. But when I do it, you know, five or 10 times, you know, when you have 60 people I and mean, I'm literally doing introductions for three hours in a row, so when they get interrupted five or 10 times, they start to get it. like, okay, like I know that when I come here, I'm going to meet 30 people minimum. Like I'm going to meet 40 yes. people. So just knowing that they, they start to, so at the beginning, it, it, you know, it's awkward or whatever, but, but I kind of force it. I, I force that through. And, and it, the bottom line is it helps me because it means I don't have to worry about what to say myself. I just make the introductions. <laughs> <laughs> so in a way it gives me a way to cheat like I can be an introvert you know and I love the events for like three or four hours but then I'm, I'm tapped out I've got no energy left I gotta I gotta I got go home but but during that time I just really try to to force those introductions and just anytime I see someone if they're standing by someone else like I might have introduced them earlier on but I, I'll, I'll make the introduction a second time just because I want to on huh. putting them together right put people together and just make sure they can they can start to meet each other yeah, and you're absolutely right it's your job as a leader to do this and you see you have like um, you're, you're good with names do you have any tricks on how on how to memorize names you know I, mean, I, I was actually very bad with names my whole life and the reason oh. was that um, you know, like I said, I'm a bit of an introvert. So when I meet someone new, there's a, you know, some baseline of anxiety or insecurity or whatever you might want to call it. So I'd be thinking like, okay, you know, what do I want to say? What's the right thing to say here or whatever? And so the, the truth was that I, I just never really listened to the name in the first place. And, and I watched a video about this once on YouTube. I watch a ton of videos on YouTube, but there was a guy, and this was going back a few years, um, and, and he, like the video literally opened with him saying, you're, you probably think you're bad with names. And that, that was exactly true for me. So I listened to the, I watched the video and, and he talked about just listening and just, you know, trying to remember the name and not worrying about anything else, just worry about the name. So the next day I, I was at a book launch event for my second book. Uh, so again, this is back in 2009 or 2010. Uh, and so anyway, I was at this event, there was 45 people there and the, the woman who organized that, that meeting had everyone make an introduction and then I would be the last person to make an introduction and then I was speaking about, about my book. 
And so when they started, I thought, you know what? I just watched the video yesterday. It was literally the next day. So I thought, you know, I, I'm going to try and just really concentrate on the names. And, you know, you can make associations. Like there was one woman there who kind of looked like my sister, and she had the same name, Annette. Uh, my oldest sister is Annette. So there's all sorts of little things that you can do to try and remember and, and put a picture on it. But, but I, I just tried to really focus on the names as they went through. And then when it finally got to me, I told them, I said, look, I just watched this video yesterday. I'm trying to remember names. I, I, I thought I was bad at names my whole life, but I, I really tried to listen when you were doing these introductions. And I'd like to try and, and, and go through the group and see how many I get right. And I got 43 out of 45 right. I only got two wrong. Whoa. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And they thought I was lying. Like they, they thought it was a lie. They thought it was, <laughs> that, you know, I, I was good at it. I was just making it up. It actually was true. Like I, I've always thought that I was bad at names, but that, but when you really listen to it and focus on it and you don't worry about anything else, like I, I, when I'm at my, at my OC happy hour events, like I'm not worried about saying anything except trying to remember names. So that's my only focus. And when you do that, it, it seems to work. So, you know, I never, I never thought that I, I would be able to do play a role like that, but that, that's what I'm doing now. And it's a muscle. You do get better at it, uh, you know, the more that you do it. And do you know the names of all the 5,000 members you have? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I know a lot. I mean, I certainly know two or 300. Like, people come. I know their names. I, listen, I, no one is more surprised by this than I am. But, but in a way, I think this is true for maybe everything in life. Like, if you really focus on something, it's amazing how good you can do on it. The problem is that most of the time we're distracted. We're trying to do too many things. We're trying to do two or three things at one time. If you just focus on one thing at a time and just really dig deep on it, it's amazing. You know, they talk about rapid skill acquisition. I don't know if, you've, if you follow like Tim Ferriss, for example. Uh, he talks a lot about uh, rapid skill acquisition. What's the fastest way to learn something? And, and you know, like Malcolm Gladwell uh, in what was that? Outliers, I think it was Outliers. He talked about the 10,000 hour rule. Uh, yeah. and, and that's absolutely true if you want to become world class. Like if you want to be world class at something, you spend 10,000 hours, you're going you're gonna to get up in those upper echelons of that skill. But, but how much time do you need to spend just to become like pretty proficient, like respectable, good enough? And, and there's mm -hmm. a lot of research on this. And, and, and the, the consensus is, is as little as 20 hours. But if you really, really have to focus, right, and, and focus on that one thing and, and push yourself to the limit, push yourself to failure, but really focus on it for 20 hours. If you can do that, you can become remarkably good in 20 hours. And, and but you have to focus and you have to do the 20 hours and this reminds me of a story that I've heard somebody say or I read somewhere uh, but it really stuck with him because the guy was just learning golf to golf and after a couple of months he went to his trainer and complained like I've been it's already like two three months and I, I'm not even more I'm not better than when I started What's going on? It's not working. I'm feeling. I'm thinking about dropping off because it's not for me. And and the guy said like, how many balls did you hit like until now? I said like, I think about two thousand balls by now. And uh, said like, how how long does it take to hit a ball? I said I don't know. Maybe half a minute or twenty seconds, something like that. So actually. You're, you're, you don't have like three months of golfing. You you do the math and you have a couple of hours of golfing and fitting the ball. That's all you have. You don't even have like the 20 hours of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, this, you know, these things are true in every area of life. And it, the problem is, you know, we have too many things to do, or especially if, you're, if you have children. I mean, my gosh, the distraction that children are, it's hard to focus. But, but if you really focus on something, it's, it's remarkable how quickly you, you can improve uh, and get better at it. Well, the first time I heard about the 20-hour rule, I, uh, I had some resistance to the idea. And then I remembered something. 
really funny, uh, at least in, in my country, but it's pretty similar in a lot of other places. It takes 15 two-hour sessions, so 30 hours total, of practice to learn to drive a car. And not only to learn to drive a car, to get good enough to pass the exam. And I was like, that is very difficult. And it's a high responsibility. You have to make it's sure. It's not 10,000 hours. Yeah, yes. you have to make sure you don't uh, harm yourself. You don't harm other uh, participants in traffic. You don't harm pedestrians. And you have to yeah. uh, keep track of all the traffic legislation. It's, it's a very difficult and big responsibility. And you can do it in, in 30 hours or less. And I was like, well, if, if people can learn, and a lot of people worldwide learn how to drive, if people yeah. can learn how to drive a car in, in 20 hours, give or take, imagine what other things you can do. Well, the thing yeah. is, the activity itself forces you to focus while you're doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's exactly, I was going to say that. I just bought uh, a motorcycle about a year ago, uh, not quite, about nice. 10 months ago. I'm 49 years old and I've never had a motorcycle in my whole life. Uh, so I'm learning to ride it for the first time. But when you're on that bike, my gosh, you're focused. I mean, I have never been more focused. I mean, I, I it's terrifying. I mean, you know, if you're going, you know, hundred kilometers an hour or 120 kilometers an hour on a motorcycle, my gosh, I mean, you are in the moment. I don't know if you follow Eckhart Tolle. Uh, wrote a book called The Power of Now. He talks about being like in the present moment. When you're on a motorcycle, at least for me, uh, when I'm on a motorcycle, I am in the, I am concentrating like crazy. And I agree that it's 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 true with driving as well. And it's amazing. Sometimes you meet people, and and you know I don't mean to insult anybody, but sometimes you meet people where you think, my gosh, I mean, how can that person actually drive? Like they just seem so incapable of basic <laughs> things right it's like that person's driving a car you know my my mother even when she got my mother's passed away but um when she was still alive near the end she got quite sick uh you know meant she had like alzheimer's and dementia so she really couldn't think straight and it was a horrible thing for her but but the bottom line was she was still driving her car and and sometimes wow. i would be in the car like she still lived in vancouver canada and so when I, I wouldn't see her that much, but when I visit, sometimes she would drive to the store, or, you know, and I would go with her or whatever. And it was terrifying to be in that car with her. But she was, <laughs> but she was, she never actually got in an accident the whole time until eventually she, she gave up her license. But it's incredible that as many people can do it, can actually do it. And maybe that's a good metaphor also because you know, it's, it's so easy to judge people and be like, oh, that person can, can achieve great things and, and that person cannot. You never know. Sometimes you're surprised. You can be surprised if people really focus and, and really work on something. It's remarkable what you can accomplish. Yeah. yeah. And every person can focus if you have like the drive or the desire to achieve the end result. Because you meet people, maybe they're not successful like monetarily but they're really good at doing stuff that other people cannot like even like playing sports or dancing or doing all kinds of tricks with a yo-yo um, people have lots of hobbies and they're really good and they spend their time and they're really focused and they get lots of pleasure out of doing that stuff and a lot of people cannot do that so I, yeah it's I, about picking your battles and what you want i wouldn't use the words drive even though it's it's correct but uh, i think a lot of people they tend to 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 self-reflect and say like do i have enough drive it's it's kind of hard to 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 see if you have or you don't have drive i would use actually use the word curiosity be curious for an end result as everybody knows what curiosity is it, it's unmistakable and if you see little children when they're curious about something, you can't stop them. They're a force yeah. of nature. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, well, they I mean, they I, absolutely I think need to know something. The, the biggest thing holding people back is their own beliefs and their own insecurities. But, you know, I believe what, what you said is a moment ago, you know, everyone in the world is better at something than you are. Uh, but meanwhile, you're better at something than everybody. Uh, and it, it's it's like the journey of a lifetime is to to figure out what is that thing for me. Well, what's that thing that I do well? 
uh, and then just digging into it. And I think most people never find it, which I think is incredibly sad. Like, you know, they, they have a regular job and, and they do what they need to do and they become very apathetic to life and just doing what they need to do to get by. And, you know, the, the uh, gosh, I don't know the, the origin of this uh, quote, but, but so, someone said, uh, the enemy of great is good. Yes. In other words, it's not that people are, are, are you know, they're, they're miserable, they're failures. That's not true at all. Most people live a good life. And it's because their life is good that they don't take any risks to, to have a great life because what they have is good. They don't want to lose it. They don't want to lose what they have. So being average at something, having an average or a slightly above average life, that's good enough. Like let's not, you know, take yeah. any more risks. And I, I disagree with that. You know, I, I have a, I don't have the best life in the world. Not at all. I have many challenges, but but I, but I take a lot of risks. And, and so the, like the variation, like the victory, the highs and the lows, you know, I get some, some pretty good lows. Like I said, when this pandemic started, my revenue went to zero. I mean, it was gone. Oh. It was gone. And now it's starting to come back a little bit, but even now it's, it's very slow. So, you know, I have downs as well, but man, I've, I've had some exciting times. I've traveled all around the world, although I've never been to, to Romania as a place I'd love to visit, frankly. But you're invited. I, you're invited. Yeah, I've been in the Middle East all the time, and, and Asia and Europe. I mean, I've had a chance to see some a lot of places. I'm super grateful. But you, you can only do that when you really take a lot of risks along the way. And since we're talking about risk, usually they come also with failure. They're kind of uh, jointed in a way. So what is the biggest leadership failure you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? Yeah, well, I mean, so I, I again, was going to talk about these groups it, just because that's a, a big part of my life. And, and it, I, I said it a little bit before, but, you know, a lot of these organizers, they just don't take uh, responsibility for, for the group. And so their group never, they, they post events on their calendar, however they organize their, like on Meetup, for example, you have you post on, on the yes. calendar. And you know, two or three people would sign up. You know, they, maybe they have a group of, of a thousand members or even two thousand members, and, and meanwhile, four people RSVP to come to an event. Like it's pathetic. It's embarrassing, really. And, and meanwhile, like you know, other groups have you know a thousand members and 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 fifty RSVPs or even a hundred RSVPs. So you see that engagement level just just rise, and it's always a function of the leadership. But, but I will, I'll, I'll pick another example, which, which uh, um, I forget the name of the CEO, but it's Volkswagen, the company Volkswagen. And they had that yes. big diesel scandal uh, where yes. they were cheating yeah, yeah. The, the emissions uh, tests were being manipulated. And, and I really thought that that was a fundamental failure in leadership, uh, what they did. And, and they even kind of tried to deny it you know, afterwards where they said that they weren't aware that maybe it was being done at a certain level, but the higher management weren't aware of it. Now, look, maybe that's even true. Maybe it's true, but you can't deny those things publicly. Like you have to take responsibility. It is. Whether you, it's a leadership failure. It, yeah. You're the CEO of the company. And again, I forget who it was. And if it, maybe I even have some facts wrong, I don't know. But I remember when that came out, I thought, you know, that, that's just a fundamental failure in leadership. So, and I, you know, I would argue, you know, I don't want to get into political conversations, but, you know, I mean, there's, look at, look at uh, the, the countries of the world and how they've responded to the virus. And, you know, some countries have done a much better job than other countries. And that's also yeah. a, a reflection of leadership. And, and the United States has not done a very good job at all. Now, if you take it on a per capita, you know, the, the numbers are manipulated a little bit because, you know, we have the, large, the most number of, of cases of any country, at least so far. India will probably pass us soon. But, but the bottom line is that the United States is 330 million people. So the population is large. So all of Europe together has a similar population, about 350 million, if you include, depending on which countries you include. But no one shows the statistics on Europe-wide. They do it in Germany or France or Spain or Italy or whatever country they're talking about. 
And so the number looks less. Well, on a per capita level, oh my gosh, I apologize. That is my... Uh, no problem. No, no problem. Yeah, my apologies for that. Um, so anyway, I mean, people look at those those numbers, you know, and they think that, that it's worse than it is. Well, the truth is that, that the United States has not done a very good job uh, with the virus. There's no question about that. But... Uh, it's not is maybe not as bad as people think, but then you look at other countries and Brazil, of course, is has you know, done things differently. Sweden has done things differently. India is struggling right now. So these are all examples of leadership, either good or bad, and, and the examples are everywhere. Uh, and it's it's always uh, like going a little back, like with the Volkswagen example and Dieselgate, right? Whenever you have like a failure inside the, a company, you, you as a leader, you cannot get hide behind this because I didn't know about it. Because the fact that you didn't know it means it's your fault because you didn't create the culture to have the dissemination of information so it gets to you. So you find out about it to, to be able to say, you know, this is not, or you didn't create the culture where people would, st would have stood up and say like, we, we don't stand for this. This is not what we do. It's not right. Uh, we know for sure we shouldn't do this. So it's yeah. always, as you said, like as you said, like previously, the leader imprints his own way of being on the group, on the company, on on the people that he is leading in a way. So he doesn't change them 100%, but it gives them a, a direction in which to move or shifts their direction a little. And if something goes wrong and you hit an iceberg, it is your fault because you are the captain of the ship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I absolutely think personal responsibility. I mean, that goes, you know, you, you can just be a good or bad leader of your own life. Like it doesn't even have to impact anybody else. Some people are, are good leaders of their own lives and some people are bad leaders. Of, like, for example, I always think, you know, people who, who lie, okay, who don't tell the truth. Well, they lie to themselves too. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, like, so in other words, the way, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, for example, Alibaba, when they extend credit uh, on Alibaba, uh, the platform in China, I mean, now it's everywhere, but mostly in China, they check uh, about 200 different variables uh, when they're giving you a credit score and they're not checking a credit rating agency like we have here in the United States, we have TransUnion and Equifax and Experian, but they're not checking those. They're checking all these other factors because we know now that there's correlation. So for example, one of the factors that they check, believe it or not, is the amount of battery life that's on available on your phone at the time you apply, because it turns out, that some people, their battery life is always low. It's always 25%, right? They got 30% left on their battery. They have 18% left on their battery, right? And, and those people, in general, are late for appointments, and they don't pay their bills on time. And, they're, and they, they, Because how you do anything is how you do everything. And meanwhile, like, my phone is always 80%. It's always 70%. Like, it's constantly charged up. And, and, and meanwhile, I'm very, you know, that's the way I run my life, you know, and, and you can see these differences, you know, people who are, who are, you know, mean to other people are mean to themselves. People who lie to other people, they lie to themselves. People who are late for appointments are late for all sorts of other things in their own lives too. So it's, you know, the world is a reflection of yourself and what, how you act towards the world is, is in many cases how you act towards yourself also. Yeah. And since we're broaching on philosophy, like what is your leadership philosophy? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly that. I mean, it, the world is a reflection of yourself. You have to model the behavior you want. Uh, if you want people to work hard, you need to work hard. You know, so there's a, there's a in, in social dynamics, there's called the law of state transfer which is that okay. when you're having a conversation with somebody, your emotional state will tend to transfer to the other person. So if you're really happy, the other person will generally become happier 
just talking to you, right? And meanwhile, if you're miserable and complaining and in a horrible mood, that will also transfer. <laughs> if you're confident, so in sales, they always say you have to you have to believe in your product because if you don't believe in your product, the other person isn't going to believe in the product either, right? And if you have uncertainty, there's no such thing as a confused buyer. If they're confused, they don't buy. So the, the only thing you have to make sure of when in sales is to make sure they're not confused. Right? They're either going to buy or they're not going to buy. But if they're confused, you're guaranteed to not make the sale. So you have to have confidence in your product, and then that confidence will transfer to the to the other person. They'll feed off of your confidence, and it will build their own confidence. Well, that's what leadership is. The world is a reflection of yourself. You, the road to being is through doing. If you want to be something, you have to do the things that that person would do. Like if you want to be a leader in your space, if you want to have the, the best podcast, the number one podcast on all of iTunes, you need to do the things that those people who are there today are doing. And if you start doing those things, you will become that thing or you will get closer to it. And I think the same thing is true. You know, my philosophy on leadership is you have to model good behavior and you have to give the people, you know, and we're, I know that one of the other, you know, one of your other questions is what are, what are your tips for, for, for leaders? Yeah. And if you want to go, get into them. Well, you know, they, <laughs> all, they, they all they're, they're going other. one in. Yes. <laughs> But that, you know, one thing I think is really important is you have to make sure that all of the incentives are aligned. So your incentive to do one thing is aligned with your, like you have to give your group members, your team members, an opportunity to achieve their goals. So if you think about the people on your team, what are they trying to do? You have to make sure that what you want them to do is, is pointing in the same direction, right? So that the incentives are aligned. A lot of times, yes. you know, people approach leadership from this authoritarian perspective where it's like, no, you do as I say regardless of what your goals are. So now the incentives are pointing in the, against each other. And there's a battle taking place all the time. And, and that battle is going to sabotage the results that you're after. If you just spend more time making sure that, you know, that your team members are achieving their goals by helping you achieve your goals, right? And, and when you achieve your goals, you're helping them achieve theirs. If those incentives are pointing in the same direction, you're like unstoppable because everyone is really fighting and, and pushing in the same direction. So, you know, to me, the, my philosophy is, is to make sure that those incentives are aligned and then model the behavior that you want them to do. Like you don't expect them to work hard if you're not going to work hard. But that's one of the reasons why I think Elon Musk is so ins inspirational because he works hard. That guy is working all the time. And so his employees, they're working hard too. You know, the average age of an employee at SpaceX is 27 years old. The average employee at, at SpaceX. That makes them millennials. Millennials get a bad reputation, right? People say they're apathetic, <laughs> entitled, lazy. It's not true. It's not true. If you give them something inspirational to work on, and if you model good behavior, they will work harder than anyone you've ever met. You just have to, you know, they're just young. They want to do something cool. Yes. We all wanted to do something cool when we were 27. And yes. that's the time in your life when you're seeing the stars and you, you want to do incredible things. Like the baby boomers were the same. I'm in Generation X. We did the same thing. It's no different. It's just that the millennials, at least here in the United States and in Europe, it's a very big generation. So there's a lot of them. So 14% more than Generation X. I'm in Generation X. So the millennial generation is a big generation. But they'll work harder than anyone you ever met if you give them something inspiring to work towards and you model good behavior. And they, they kind of already did. I, um, I brought this up with a couple of other people. Uh, <laughs> funny enough, Uh, millennials had the steepest learning curve because in the span of one generation they went from vinyl to cassettes to CDs to uh, to uh, internet and now just stuff beams from space down to earth into your uh, pocket computer 
Yeah. So learning to 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 adapt every five years to a doubling of, of uh, available technology that is necessary. So if, your job. If you look at job postings, uh, it used to be that if you wanted, I'm a developer, so I always go back to that. We were looking for a Java developer 20 years ago. You need to know Java. Nowadays, you need to know uh, back-end technology, front-end technologies. You need to know servers. You need to do security. You need to do... It's a whole list of stuff, and you need to do all of them. Yeah. It's a very steep learning curve. And it's going to continue to go faster and faster. I mean, it actually is quite scary, like how fast things are changing today. And, it, you know, biologically, we don't evolve very quick. We evolve very slowly. Yes. We're very similar to the way we were biologically, you know, a thousand years ago. Uh, but meanwhile, we're, we're confronted with all these new types of interaction, like social media just in general is very dangerous. I mean, we're seeing, you know what, I mean, we're seeing a spike in suicides, not just with, you know, normally, historically, suicide was almost exclusively a male phenomena. It was men, not women. Some older women, male, so it's changing. It's changing. Now we're seeing girls, uh, young girls, teenage girls, you know, committing suicide. It's horrible. And, and it's happening because social media is such a misleading, uh, you know, it's an illusion. I mean, I, I do it myself. I take five pictures of an event. I don't post the worst one. I post the best one. <laughs> right? And everybody Everyone does, does it. it. Yeah. Like, I don't mean to hurt anybody. I just want people to see how great it was. So I don't post the bad picture. I post the good picture. Well, everybody does that. And so you look on social media, you consistently see this illusion where everything is always fantastic. And of course, now these influencers, like they, they'll go to great lengths to, to choreograph a photograph to make sure it looks absolutely incredible. They'll Photoshop it. They'll do whatever they need to do to get that photograph. And so you're, you're, you're confronted as, as, as a consumer of social media with the, this illusion. It's very dangerous. And biologically, we haven't, as a species, we haven't learned to uh, adapt to that. And, and I think it's, I think it's well, very hard for the younger generations. Uh, I agree with you. They've gone through such, such an enormous amount of change. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a difficult time. It's also very exciting. There's a lot of opportunity. It is. But you, you get both maybe at the same time. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I like to study history. And the one thing that really struck me and really got me out of studying history <laughs> a little is I, I read somewhere a quote is that history is written by the winners. And you you never get the full story of what happened and what it was because you as a winner, you put only the glorious stuff and you don't put the lows and all the the trodden stuff you have to do to win uh, because that's your privilege. You won, you get to tell the story how you want to yeah. tell it. And that's, that's why, for example, at all the interviews that I do, the question that I believe is the most important is the one about leadership failure. Because I want people to understand that as a leader, you can have mistakes, you can fail, and you're still a leader and you're still good. What counts is that you're improving and you're growing. And it applies and you, like with everything in life. And you take responsibility for the failure yes. in front of your team. Yeah. Like, you know, but the, the, you know, Eckhart Tolle, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with, I mentioned him before. I'm a big fan of Eckhart Tolle. Uh, and he talks about something called- I know of uh, him. You, you're familiar with him? He, he talks about uh, the pain body. And the pain body is the accumulation of all the hard things that you've gone through, uh, all the difficult things in your life. But, but you can also have what he refers to as a collective pain body. So like a, a family can have a collective pain body. A company can have a collective pain body. A country can have a collective pain body. So. When I was uh, in Russia the last time, I spoke in Moscow. I was there for five days, and or four, four days, I think. Anyway, during that time, uh, like four or five different people told me, and I, I wasn't asking, but in different environments, people told me, life is difficult in Russia. And I thought, man, this is incredible. I mean, this is, 
a narrative that the population knows it's in funny. Russia. Right here in America, it's like the opposite. It's like, you know, this is the land of the free. It might not be true. I'm not saying it's true, but the people in this country, they say, you know, it's, it's the land of opportunity, you know, freedom, all these things. That's the narrative here uh, in the US. And maybe in Russia, the narrative is life is difficult in Russia. Now look, I don't know anything about, I don't know, you know, I mean, I know some history about Russia, but I know very little. So I'm not saying what's true and what's not. I have no idea. But but you absolutely see that, you know, countries, like you said, the history is written by the winners. There's there's a lot of losers along the way in, in all sorts of different situations where, you know, there's a battle, you win some, you lose some. Well, people don't win. They don't write so much about the, the battles they lost. They only write about the battles they won. But that, but it leaves a mark and it, it leaves a legacy in, in people's psychology because yeah. they know it happened. They know it was difficult, right? Or whatever it happened, either as individuals or as a company or as a country or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, you don't you don't get away scot free. It, it ends up in your psychology and, and then it ends up affecting everything you do one way or another. That's absolutely true. And Patrick, during our discussion, I got an inkling that you love to read books. So no um, what, is, what is the book that had the most profound impact on you? Yeah, I mean, I'd be tempted to say uh, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, but it, it's not, I mean, I think it's a, he's, it's a great book. It's fascinating. But there's a book that you might not have heard of, uh, which I loved. I thought it was spectacular, and it's called Pitch Anything. Uh, by uh, Oren Kraft, uh, Pitch yeah. Anything, Oren Klaff. Anyway, it's a great book, and he, he talks, you remember we talked about the law of state transfer, about how yes, your, yeah. your confidence is going to transfer the person you're speaking with. If you're uncertain, that's the transfer. If, if you're in abundance, like if you're, I have more than I need, like I don't need this bill, for example, if you're trying to sell a deal. Uh, I don't. I don't need this deal. So if we're going to do it, let's make sure it's a win. If it doesn't happen, it's a deal. Like that's those social dynamics are very important, and, and for leadership and for sales. And, and he talks about that in detail in in pitch everything and how to come into a situation from a a, a place of abundance and a place of of confidence and a place of of being relaxed, outcome independence, right? And whatever happens, happens. I'm good either way. It's a very powerful thing. Like to, to say, I'm only going to be happy if, you know, the stock market goes up and I'm going to be unhappy if the stock market goes down. Like that, that's, that's a dangerous place to be because you're setting yourself up for failure and you're showing your weakness to the other person. Right. If you say like, I mean, the stocks is a big part of my, my life. If you're, if you know that you have a, a balanced portfolio, you know, between different, types of asset yes. classes like you're fine whatever happens happens. i'm good it's it's no problem so i don't need something to happen for me to be happy uh i don't need something to happen for me to be successful like i've got everything i need everything's cool so that book talks about that in some detail it's it's not new it came out in 2011 uh, so nine years ago but pitch anything is a great great book i love that book and, and do you have like, if I guess you applied like outcome, getting outcome independence, do you have like some tips on how to achieve it faster? Like how to actually be, be involved with the work, but don't care about the result. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, that's very, very difficult. You know, I mean, I, I think about this uh, when you're meeting people, like going up to someone and saying hi is difficult. But if you do it, you know, 20 times or 100 times, you meet. In fact, that's a great example because when I was much, much younger, I was in my early 20s, um, I had a job one summer doing door-to-door uh, -door sales. Like I literally walked through neighborhoods and knocked on doors. Vacuum cleaners? I'm sorry? Or in vacuum cleaners or in cyclopedias? No, no, it was <laughs> it was a it was a coupon, uh, like a you know you pay twenty bucks and then you get like two for one meals, you know, and twenty ten two for one meals and free tickets to a game. It was a coupon package that that, that, that okay. I was selling. But but it was incredible what happened because 
of course, I was terrified at the beginning. Um, but even after like five houses or 10 houses, you already start to get desensitized to the objections that people have. And, you know, it's incredible. Like we talked a second ago about how, you know, as biologically it takes a long time for us to adapt to things, but, but it's also amazing how quickly you can adapt to, to small changes like that. And I remember within a week or two, like I could, I could talk to anybody. Like I, I was yeah. just completely desensitized. I, I was, it, it just, it, and it happened remarkably quickly. So, you know, I, I think, you know, trying more things, I guess, is, you know, in meeting people, it's easy because I can say, look, go and say hi to 30 people in a row, different people, different groups yeah. of people walk up and say hi. That is hard to do, but I guarantee by the time you're finished, it'll be way easier than it was at the beginning, uh, way easier. So, uh, but, but when it comes to like, you know, being successful in life or business or whatever, I guess my advice would be to try more things, like have run more experiments in, in here in the, in, in the Bay area, the San Francisco Bay area, it's a very entrepreneurial, you know, Silicon Valley. And they always talk about fail fast, fail forward. So, you know, what's the minimum viable product? That's a Tim Ferriss uh, concept. You know, the minimum way to test an idea uh, and you, you test something and, and, and it fails and you test something else that fails, you test a third thing and that one kind of works. And so now you change it a little bit and test it again and it does better. And now you've done four tests and then you do five and six. And the more you do, the more you're like, this is just a process. Like what works and what doesn't work it's not up to me. It's not, I don't have control. All I have control is how many things I try. So you just keep trying more and more things. So, I mean, I guess that would be the easiest way to do that. I don't know if that's the best answer, but, but I think the more you expose yourself to something, it's remarkable how quickly you can get used to that and, and adjust. Just do more faster. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's true. I, I totally agree with it. It's it's just the more you can put yourself out there, the faster you become better at it, and the more you can do of it. It's just in doing the initial steps. It's it's yeah. the it's the hardest part. That's just the starting up. Yeah. I heard something that really stuck with me a couple of years ago. Uh, somebody told me, listen. The only thing you can truly control is how you feel about things. And even that is really hard. Wow. So, but it's the only thing you can really control. So you can, uh, you can focus on behaviors when you do stuff, never on outcomes. And the only thing that you have any power over is, uh, is how they make you feel. Which yeah. Goes back and I, I do think, I mean, it, increasing the, the amount of exposure you, like your podcast, right? Remember when you first started your podcast and, and you know, it was probably difficult and uncomfortable and you didn't know how to invite people to be guests or whatever, you, you know, and then all those initial steps, that's the hardest part, but then you, you started to get used to it. Yeah. And now you've done so many of these, it's, it's probably easy for you to do it now. So it's just it's, another it's example. It's getting easier and easier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and Patrick, sure. if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Um, you know, my, my last name is, is a bit of a disaster. Um, and my, my URL, my website is my full name. It's patrickschwartbeger.com. Uh, and that's, you know, the, I'm a speaker, so I, it's going to be in the show notes so people can, uh, can find it easy. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I appreciate it <laughs> because it is, it's not an easy one to find, but my, you know, I have books on, on Amazon, uh, of course, and I've got, you know, 700 videos on YouTube. I mean, I've, I've got a lot of stuff out there, but the easiest place is, is my website. Uh, and it is geared towards event planners and meeting planners, but on the contact page is a form that people can fill out. That actually goes right to my personal email box, and I, I, I respond to every message I get. So uh, if people have any comments or questions or things they're curious about, I would love to hear from, from people who heard this interview. I appreciate the opportunity very much. And... It was an amazing conversation that I had with you. I got so many ideas 
thank you so much, Patrick, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye. 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 That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh. You can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.